This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the 24-7 Sports Network. I am Mike Casaza. Tingling this morning because it's the first day of the last week of the preseason. Kind enough to join us today is Chris Anderson. Chris, right around the corner. Another vacation for me. <laughs> and I, was then to say, I was about to I was about to make that joke. I think we're all both finally done with all of our vacations that all come at the same time. Yes, I uh, I'm I'm away this weekend, but not like a, a a long thing. It's just a day. My wife's running a marathon, and her, her friends do running a marathon, half marathon. Um, I don't do that. I like to watch and be there in case someone has to drive to the hospital or the bar, as it were. Um, so I'll be available, but no, this is my 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 vacation calendar is actually all crossed out right now, which I'm sure is a relief to people who are worried about something big happening. Which we did a pretty good job of this year. Um, I know that the conference landscape totally collapsed. We were both working. At that time, that's not our fault. And then really nothing nothing major happened when we were gone. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I I think, uh, well, I guess last year I didn't really take a vacation, but the year before that was, I think I had 15 stories ready because I was going on like a two-week vacation. Mm -hmm. And the day I left, there was uh, the commitment from the junior college offensive lineman that never ended up enrolling. And, And right off the bat, on my wedding anniversary it was like are you kidding me come on come on so but we're good now Mm, mm. uh lots to talk about because we've pretty much closed the book on preseason practice at west virginia the camp portion i guess is what you might call it that ends on tuesday huddles split people up into different teams i'll have a story about that and what they're going to do the whole process is kind of um interesting to hear neil brown talk about it but today's monday tomorrow's tuesday and then they're done pretty much with the audition stage, I would guess. And you're going to be put in one of three canisters. You're, you're going to play, you're going to develop, you're going to redshirt. So um, time really taken. I think you hit that nail on the head about, I don't know, a week, 10 days ago with Brown talking about that. And then they pretty much shipped into Maryland. And I was just telling you, I actually get to go look at our 24-7 site and read some newspapers from back where I used to live about Maryland and what they're going to be like. And it, it occurs to me, they're still in the Big Ten. I always forget that. Like, I was looking at, like, just an ECC magazine the other day, and I was like, where's Maryland, Maryland, Maryland? Um, oh, that's right, Big Ten. Out of sight, out of mind, I get that. But, um, boy, they haven't played uh, in a long time, and, and you forget about things like this. But first opponent, might as well get used to it. Yeah, you're talking to the guy that uh, that always references him as ACC foe, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I still haven't got used to that either. What was it, 2013, last time they played, right? I mean, it's it's it. It feels longer than that, um, just because so much has changed at both schools and all of college football since then. But um, you know, a, a little bit of a return to some opponents and and some matchups that uh, that that West Virginia fans are used to and are looking forward to. So, uh, kind of excited that you know, and kicking it off with with a good team always gets me excited. I, I don't want to. Um, I understand the sometimes need to open up with an Eastern Kentucky 
I know last year was a little different, but that's just the example I'm giving here of, of starting with an FCS type school. I understand the need. I understand why it happens, but man, I just get so much more excited when it's, it's a real game to kind of start the year, Uh, like a real opponent, a power five team with some excitement around it. Uh, Quick fact check. Last time they played 2015. Oh, 2015. Okay. They just embarrassed Maryland in the first half of the game. Oh, that's right. 2013 was the one where Maryland embarrassed WVU. Yeah, there's some funny symmetry in this series. 13 was the Ford Childress peck pop game. Not because he did something good, but because his pectoral muscle absolutely popped during the game, and he was never the same. I think that his second pass, maybe third play of the game, tore his peck, never the same. They lose 37-0. I don't think they knew he was hurt, and they kept playing him. Um, Next year, Maryland again scores 37 that was a Lambert game winner where Randy Enzel was just furious that he was, there was a false start by the kicker, which not wrong. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, let's, let's not lie here. That, yeah. that was, <laughs> and then 37 points, 37 points. And then West Virginia scores 38 in the first half and goes out of its way to get a field goal to be up 38, nothing at the half. And I can remember Holgerson saying that they exercised the demons in the first half of that game from what had happened, you know, the prior two years and they win 45, six, is, is that the game where my boy Randy complained about how many snaps or was that after the 2014 game? Like basically like 80 snaps wasn't good for the game and yada, yada, yada. I don't know. That's that's your man. That's your man's right there. Mike, that's not mine. I don't I don't keep track of uh, what Randy's up to nowadays. Uh, you and your Yukon love up there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how many head coaches have me blocked. I don't know how many coaches have me blocked. <laughs> I think growing list from what I understand. But that guy's definitely had me blocked for a long time. I have no idea why. I can't remember. I'm sure I have said something, but um, but I, it just seems like such a shallow thing. And well, I can think yeah. of a few things. Did he block you before uh, the last few years, or was it after? Well, I wish he wouldn't block me, because then I could send him a nice letter, because my beach house <laughs> in, in coastal Maryland is exclusively bankrolled on his defense the past couple of years. <laughs> Uh, just, yeah, but no, I don't, that was before that he was the Maryland coach and I, I don't know what had happened, but something happened during, during a, um, a game week before or after, I'm not really sure, but he seemed like he was pretty bent out of shape for me, but also like there's, you can Google it. There's, there's a whole lot that goes on, um, with him blocking people. And I know people who've worked on him before and, and that's his Twitter. That's not like the SID running the Twitter. He's blocked everything. Um, also the, uh, 40, 37 game West Virginia ran 108 plays that game and he was not happy. Um, yeah about that not being good for the game. I said 80. Uh, sold you short there, Rand. Yeah. I don't need a, a big number there. Uh, anyways, um, we mentioned playing against a good team to start. Before we get into what we're going to do today, and I'll describe it in a second, um, probably the, the most, I would say, tangible, newsworthy thing that's happened. Like, we, we have expansion stuff happening and maybe alliances and whatever, and, and I don't know who knows what that is, but, like, we also had a scheduling edict by West Virginia we can actually talk about because it actually did happen um three game series starting on the road then two at home 25 27 29 against Ohio blank not Ohio State just Ohio this looks like a peek into the future you can make it look however you want I don't know do you like it do you dislike it do you understand it do you not understand it I didn't like it at all and softened my stance a little bit after reading your story. 
Mm. Not this is not this is not a hard sell on the VIP or Mike's writing or anything, but you had some good points in there about the going rate for um quote unquote buying a game, buying a home game. And when you start putting that in perspective, getting it in advance, sacrificing one home game. Now the 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 problem here is that yeah, you're saving money by paying a little less for these home games later, but then you're giving up, presumably a home game to go on the road. I, what was that? So that's 25. Yes. And are they already away those years? I can't remember. I know who they're playing upcoming, but I can't remember who, if it's away or, um, what year, like in 25, like were they planning on having a home game? No, they had to go away because they were, well, they didn't have to, but it was home, home, Robert Morris, home pit in 25. So I guess you're going away almost certainly that that third game right do you think they'd go three straight home games i mean i'm no, sure they, I think they, to, but. they could have it'd be great for the money i think that they hoped they could get into some invitational game and remember the the chick-fil-a had an opening and yeah there was some goodwill theory about that about that maybe because that game got swept away last year nobody's fault perhaps you could set that up that didn't happen um they went another direction so those games are hard to find right now and you have to do something. They could have gotten a home game, but then you're, you're. I mean, I, I don't know. That would have been tough because you're, you're paying deep seven figures for these games now, and you want to play Robert Morris. And then, who's, who's, I don't know, who's above Robert Morris in the pecking order in the FBS? You know, probably like an Ohio youth, but that's a high price. And again, the price, the price. This is what they're doing. They're going to pay combined for the two games less than what you would probably pay for one game against them. I don't know if that makes sense, but like there's a figure, let's just say it's like $2 million to play one of these home games now against a team from the Mac or the Sun Belt or Conference USA and West Virginia won't pay half of that because they're going to break, they're going to actually chip off one road game, which is a weird look. We can get into that, but um, finances are, are a heck of a thing right now. And who knows what it's going to be like in 25. So well, and bigger thing sorry. too is the Browns edict of FCS group of five power five. That means no more FCS power five, power five, I would think. Yeah, and I think the only other, the negative here is that, yeah, they're paying less for those two, but then they're also losing the revenue from a home game in 2025 because they're going on the road. Then again, and this is why I was curious what the 2025 home home away stat was, because, again, three home games, I I mean, I I think everybody would love to play a lot of home games because you're always making money that way, but um, slip in one away game. Is, Is 25, is that... So that's going to be the same split. Well, I was about to say it's going to be the same home away split in the Big 12 as it is this year, but no, no, it's not. Um, no, it is not, especially not in 2025. But eh, you're losing a few bucks there. But I think it's it's not as bad as it seems. And as you noted in that piece, a lot of teams are doing it. A lot of a lot of good Power Five teams are going on the road to play group of five teams. It's it's all finances is all it is you're uh you're shane lyons or whomever is the ad in 2027 you're the head of the mac whomever that is in 2027 chris how do you sell vmi in ohio as non-conference home games (laughs) Uh, and then don't forget even even if the big 12 as currently constituted with the eight teams even if they stay together no texas on that home schedule either good luck (laughs) 
that's that's the drawback here is you're going to have oh that but you're going to have a game in 27 and 29 against Ohio so uh, that's that's close proximity <laughs> and that's not that's not an elite opponent I, I it's a nice little Mac program I get it they've done a lot of good stuff with a retiring or a retired head coach there's some history there I don't think anybody cares about that that 27 schedule is brutal I don't know how they're going to do that you want to know how and and man if if Shane Lyons or somebody's listening to this and they end up doing it I yeah. really hope nobody blames me for this but. If it were me, and I were trying to make sure that I got as many, if if my one goal was get as many season ticket uh, season tickets sold as possible for 2027, is I would tie that into the 2026 home game against Alabama. Oh, whoa! In some way, or if you you know if if you can't like kind of go backwards, I would or I'd go forwards and tie it into you know, first in line for the tickets against Tennessee and Charlotte. But then I don't know how you do that with a neutral site game. So I would, it's a total, um, let's say jerk move and fans would hate it. But if my goal is to sell as many season tickets as possible and I don't care about anything else, that's what I'm doing. That's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. That, That made me rock back in my chair. I like it. And here's the thing, 28 is just Tennessee right now. 29 yep. is Ohio again. They're going to get, well, actually, they won't get a decent, they're going to get a home game, but they're not going to schedule anybody of worth for a home game, are they? Huh? Mm. I was saying, could you tie the 28 home game against, uh, I'm just thinking out loud here, like um, Kentucky. Marshall? Oh, sorry. Uh, let's just say Kentucky, like a, like an FC, or an, uh, yeah. me, an FBS Power 5 team that would be at home, but they're not going to play Tennessee and another power five that same year. So could you do that? That's a good question. Or could you loop a 29 against a 20, 30? I like what you're thinking there. That's what I would do. That's absolutely what I would do. I'd handcuff those two together. It's new thinking. It's required to do stuff like that. Um, listen, if you want if, if you want to get one of those Alabama tickets, you're going to have to take an Ohio ticket. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, they already do that, but like in the same season, they don't, they don't do that like across season. So I think uh, it might be a tough pill for some fans to swallow, but. Is so you know when it comes to season tickets, you're that's your goal. You don't really care about much else. Well, you can get them a discount maybe on your donation or something like. Because if you're gonna get a 26 season ticket to get the Alabama game and you're gonna get looped in that 27 lollipop, then perhaps my 27 should come at a slight discount for my commitment to that Ohio game. I don't know what that would be. Perhaps it's like based on your longevity. There's a sliding scale. Oh, you've been a season ticket holder for 17 years. You get X percent off. Two years. Well, you don't get quite as much, but you get something off. Um, I could see that. That's listen, creative thinking. Um, that's what West Virginia is practicing right now in scheduling. Uh, and then I think that you might have to do something like that to sell tickets because that 27 schedule is is not going to be inviting. And again, a long way down the road, I get that. And you know, maybe you, you whip up a whole new generation of fans in the next couple of years that makes that easier too. But you got to start thinking about those things at some point. Let's think about what we're going to do in this episode, Chris. We typically do a Q&A early in the week, but a lot has happened since we last spoke in the concerts of camp. A whole bunch. Developments, depth charts, starters, backups, positions, changes, movement, development, progress, whatever you want to say. And we've been there to see it, which is kind of cool. Um, but we did not put a post up on the VIP board soliciting questions because we had an idea. Uh, you and I would ask each other questions on this one. No, there's question. nothing people like more than us talking more. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. But I think that we have a good grasp of what people are talking about and thinking about based on very lively boards. Um Again, big time in just a regular year. This is an abnormal year because of everything that's happening on the periphery, too. But I think we boiled down things into to what might be some, some good questions back and forth. 
And when I say lively boards, uh, just a quick 30-second timeout to advertise. Highest subscription total in ear sports history. Take a bow, Chris. Yep. Highest it's ever been. Again, we're we're well on track for the largest August page views, largest August sessions ever. So, um, I mean, it's it's the numbers that are going up, kind of crazy. Uh, this August currently on pace for what would literally be double the number of page views we had in August of 2018. Mm. Double. So, yeah. love it. We'll see what happens when Dr. Jill Biden's internet bullying campaign puts the handcuffs on you. <laughs> that me- the message board is going to be shut down just yeah. like that. Specifically you, though. You've been hard on people lately. I've been, I, I, short, short fuse. I, I, I need to get my kids back in school. We're, we're, we're reaching the end of summer, and, and temper's a little short lately. So listen, we'll, we'll throw our questions back and forth at each other. Then we'll get back into conventional stuff about, you know, the listener, the subscriber questions and then our answers. But listen, we're going to get back into a, a group of a game week soon where we have a Tuesday pod and a Friday pod. The Friday, dare I say, highly anticipated um, previews that are largely accurate. Um, if you ask me, which no one did, but those are always kind of fun. A lot of research, a lot of work goes into them. But listen, that's right around the corner. So we decided maybe we'd go out the bang here and do something different before we get into something familiar with our regular game week schedule and should be fun here. Um, would you like to go first or want me to go first? Yeah, I got something for you that, that's topical that happened kind of over the weekend. Uh, mm. Breaking news from Ross uh, Dellinger over at uh, Sports Illustrated talking about that there, there's an impending move coming from the NCAA to this isn't exactly WVU related, but I know it's been a hot topic around uh, with Neil Brown and his staff. Um, scholarship limit changes immediately changing things, uh, the limit, you know, 25-man football signing limit, changing that. Mike, what is your ideal, quote-unquote, fix? And is it temporary or is it permanent? The changes that you would make to the limits and how player, how teams can add players. This is hard because we don't get to actually see the questions first. I can usually prepare something, so these are very much <laughs> off the cuff here. I like the idea because there has to be some sort of relief because of the, the congestion due to the COVID season rule. So they're going to have a lot of people on the roster who might not ordinarily be here. And, and this comes in two forms. Guys last year who wanted to transfer but didn't because, who knows, they never got to prove themselves so they might not be able to get a spot somewhere else. I've heard that's a factor, is that people understand that the transfer portal is a dangerous place to be right now. So um, maybe you wanted to go in, but you knew you had so little tape because you played, you might have played every game, but maybe you played a four or five game season. Where are you going to go? Um, you might not have played a whole lot because maybe you got you know, contact trace and you missed five games. So you don't go anywhere because it's not a guarantee you're going to end up somewhere. And then you just have like players who just don't graduate. You know, Six-year seniors, these super seniors, there's a lot of them. So congestion on your roster. And the thing is, that's going to be in place for a couple of years, right? I mean, you're talking, I don't know how many freshmen from the 2020 season are going to use that extra season. Some will. I think you're, you're thinking more of towards your 2020 junior, senior class. But that's going to be a number that you have to deal with. And they've, they've made, what, seven is the number you can exceed by seven? Is that correct? I don't know. Is that what it is going to be? Yeah, I think so. That's the proposal. Okay. You can exceed by seven. Um and then is that going to be a permanent thing or not? We'll see. I think that's going to be something that gets chiseled during the the discussion and negotiation here. And you might get a number. You might get, you know, maybe it's a three-year period. But my fix would be do something temporary that 
addresses the people who were on the 2020 rosters and are affected by the 2020 rosters. Because you can't you can't screw up your recruiting for the future because of one fluke year in the in the history of a program. So, example, West Virginia might only take uh, hypothetically, or let's just say let's just say like 13 kids next year because they're going to have a bunch of players who are coming back, you know, junior class players who are coming back, senior players who are coming back because they have an extra year. Well, now you can't sign 25, you know, 13. You have six coming back. That's 19. You know, and then you're going to have like maybe six players you can do something with for transfers, whatever. That's a really small recruiting class. And that doesn't seem fair if you've been recruiting as well as West Virginia has. So I can see a need for a temporary relief there. When they get out of this, I don't know when they do or how they do. I'm I'm all in on the idea of you can exceed 25, let's just say, by by 20 in a five-year period. So in every five years, there's a five-year window, let's say. And you can actually use those 20 extras toward those five years, you know, two this year, six next year, four this year, eight this year, and then you have none left for the final year, something like that, where you could have um, a bank of extras you can use just to adapt to the transfer portal, Um, players going pro early, just things that happen that you can't predict. Like 25 isn't a very big number when you think about it and, and how crazy roster turnover is. I think you should be allowed to exceed to adapt but I would make sure it's not unlimited and you have a bank over a period of years. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm with you on the fact that 25 is really not that crazy. Um, I know, uh, you you know, going back to uh, the Bill Stewart Stewart days, uh, his stance was, hey, you know, you get 18, you only have 85 spots, you get 18 per class. That's, you know, five times that is 90 or so. So you get 17 or 18 and you end up in that 85 to 90 range. That's all you need. But obviously that didn't take into account the number of like academic casualties, transfers, all that stuff. And and that led to West Virginia's roster being extremely short 10 years ago mm-hmm. before transfers really started. You know, I mean, transfers are up a hundredfold since then. Uh, academic casualties are actually down. You know, guys are more focused on academics in high school because they see the wasted opportunities from people before them. So, but but still, you have to have more numbers. You have to have some kind of cushion here. And 25, you know, you're talking over a four-year period, maybe five years, I guess. You, five, you're talking 125. That's plenty. But again, what do we, half the class of every single class is transferring? or gone within like three years, two years. So 25 is not that wild of a number. Now I'm with you on, it needs to be kind of a, instead of an extra five every single year, it's more of a a cushion spread out over four or five years, because then you're going to end up with teams like Ole Miss and Mississippi state who were like the, the initial, um, you know, troublemakers with this, where they would sign, 37 kids and then just place them in the junior colleges in their own state and bring them back a couple years later. And you can't have that. You can't do that. That, that, that's not going to help. So I like your idea of kind of spreading it out over a couple different classes. It's not my idea to be Frank. I mean, listen, I'd love to take credit for it. <laughs> no, it's, really, it's yours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But like, I've heard people talk about that. And I think I actually think Neil Brown spoke about it at his, first big 12 media days and if it wasn't then it was sometime after and i think he even said like it's not my idea but this is what coaches talk about and it it made sense then it really makes sense now it just feels like there's going to be a a splash because of the needed legislation 
But then what after that? Are we going to go back to normal? I don't think you can put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. Hot turn. You and I love bending the rules. Maybe. BYU. Mm-hmm. Fully funded scholarship for their walk-ons from an outside donor. Love it. What does this do? Do you think? I, I I don't. I have I have answers to my own question here, but just I guess it's a broad question because it could you could answer this however you want and frame it however you want. But the concept, the application of scholarshiping all the walk-ons for that program. Um, what do you think? I think it incentivizes um, good players. Well, one, I think it gives them a huge advantage in recruiting because essentially that kind of gives you almost an uncapped recruiting class. Because mm-hmm. all you do is, hey, you're going to quote unquote walk on. And the day you get there, you get a full scholarship. They already do this. Uh, it's called blue shirting, where a kid shows up to camp or shows up to school and then doesn't you know, start practice until two days later or whatever, and then they just count them towards the next class. So now you can just tell them, we don't even have to count you towards the next class. We'll just call you a quote-unquote walk-on, and then you're going to get a full scholarship anyway. So I think this this is a huge recruiting advantage if, you know, you you have the numbers there. Like, I think if it were, I'm not, I'm not trying to dog BYU here, um, but if it were, like, say, Alabama pulling this, where Alabama has to turn away like four-star recruits because they're already getting so many and they don't have the room for them. Now, if they can convince, they might have the ability to convince like another four-star recruit to quote-unquote walk on and get a full scholarship. Shoo-wee, that would be nuts. And I think they could really steal recruits to, again, walk on that would otherwise go to like SEC programs. I'm not sure BYU's guys that they're going to convince to walk on are going to be you know, elite talents, but it still is going to be better than what they would normally get in their walk-on program, which is going to make their whole program better. 36 players end up getting uh, what's the equivalent to a scholarship. Obviously, don't get a scholarship. You can't breach the 85, excuse me, breach the 85 limit, but I think it's 36 players. They don't, I don't think they gave out all, the math doesn't work there. What's the roster size? 25, 125, is that right? That might be about right. It's 120. 110, 120, depending on the time of year. Yeah. Okay. Well, so anyways, they gave all these walk-ons NIL deals. That's their way around it. That's why you and I love the whole cheating is legal thing because they, I don't want to say they cheated, but they have a um, a booster who said, listen, 36 walk-ons equivalent to full scholarship. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, I think it makes them dangerous in the future if it does stick. I wonder if it's going to stick. I wonder if this NCAA constitution in November is going to be like, absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> Because that puts a huge, that puts a huge division. Never mind between the haves and have-nots, but the haves and the haves. I, I don't, I don't think you would call BYU a have in the sense that you might call Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, USC schools like that haves that could just snap their fingers and do that. USC might seem odd, but like that's that's Hollywood. They're gonna do it if they want to. But I, I just wonder, like, if if the top group of the Power Five that can't do that would go, no, 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 no. So that would I wonder if that's going to survive January. I wonder if there's going to be something in place that you just can't do that. Like they need to get the NIL rules right. Uh, listen, praise the BYU for doing that. I think it's great. And if it sticks, I mean, you're looking at like having JV teams maybe, because you're not going to use all those players. I mean, how many play seventy travel to a game, a road right. game? So you're going to leave half at home. But like 
realistically in, in a game you're going to play between like maybe maybe 55 and 65 players for a lot of teams that aren't blowout games or like you know those those November games in the SEC where they're playing their second FCS team you're going to play like 55 65 players maybe more maybe less but like that's your your roundabout average depending on who you are so again you know half your team is not playing what do they do I think you'll see like JVs things like that you could see that just for development um and and BYU don't forget their their roster is different anyways so what type mm-hmm. of people are they bringing in and developing you're talking about guys who are going to be like you know already grown men but they might you're going to have a lot more of them that could be just you know at the disposal of the the roster and the coaching and all that that, that just could be a really good thing does it change how they play do they play faster do they you know because they can rip off more snaps they have more depth it's it's really a fascinating conversation here i just don't believe it's going to survive november though yep um do you think someone copies it I think they should if they can find if they can find a donor that has the money to do that they should. I mean, again, especially with like the the caveat that you just put on there of like this ain't gonna last, but let's at least get this for a couple years and, and help us out. You know, you're not going to tie you in for ten years or something here, because um, honestly, I think offering that here, here's here okay here's my unofficial second question. Is offering 36 walk-ons a full scholarship more beneficial to a team than promoting the fact that your one five-star quarterback got a seven-figure deal? Ooh. Which which is more beneficial to the program? It's BYU for sure. Because Alabama, you figure that stuff's possible. It doesn't Well, let's let's take the names off of it. Let's just say if if West Virginia had a choice, let's put it that way. If West Virginia had a choice of of a a donor is like i got a million dollars and i want to give it to the program should i give 36 walk-ons every year i'm going to donate a million dollars and i can either put every single walk-on on scholarship or i can give one player on your team one player of your choice on your team a million dollars to you know wave in front of my car dealership for an afternoon Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I love it. I love it. I, Which I can answer this passionately both ways because <laughs> a place like West Virginia, man, can you imagine the allure of, listen, I'm going to go spin it in the Big 12 or I'm going to go catch balls in the Big 12 or sat the quarterback in the Big 12 or whatever conference, I guess. But there's a seven-figure payday out there. I think people would line up to do that. Absolutely, I think they would. Um, but wouldn't West Virginia benefit from being able to just go into the portal and say, wait a minute, you can't get a scholarship in the SEC. They don't have one for you in the Big Ten. Um, the, S- the ACC doesn't have a place for you right now. They told you to wait. Come here. Yeah, we got we got 85 on scholarship. We also have 15 extra scholarships we can give you in NIL. Um, the value of those extra you know, dozen, 15, 20 players would be really good for West Virginia because those would not be walk-on quality players. Those would be guys who were like four or five stars who, you know, got bounced or just on their own split from a major program and can't find a place for some reason or another. There's a lot of them in there. Um, I think you could do that. Like there's not a whole bunch you can make a roster with. I don't think you could do 36 players like that, but 
how many players every year are good players who just can't find a spot and they get lost in the shovel. The best ones get swept up. I get that. But there's a there's a number every year who kind of get pinched because there's not a spot out there. Um, not frequent, but it's enough. I don't know if that's strong enough to trump the seven-figure payday that you're talking about, though. I would, I would take the seven-figure thing and see what I could do with that rather than having to work and work and work and hope that I could work the portal like nobody else and get you know, 12, 15 players who are out of luck everywhere else. I was, we're going to make this my official second question instead of unofficial now because because i i was prepared also after i asked it i was like yeah i feel like the answer is kind of obvious and then now i'm thinking too like i i could kind of argue both sides because i'm with you that the number of people who are entering the transfer portal and not finding a home because scholarships are limited is growing so you would have more opportunities you would get better walk-ons quote-unquote from the transfer portal and add them to your program you could add like a three or or low four-star guy that it is in the transfer portal that can't find a home because nobody has scholarships right now. Um, and you could do it with that new walk-on um, NIL deal. But here's the thing with that million dollars. Just like you said, I think elite recruits, and they have this mentality, a lot of the top recruits, they have this mentality that I am the best. I am the best. They didn't get where they were if they didn't have that kind of mentality. Of, mm-hmm. I'm the best there is. I'm the best there is. I can beat anybody out here. I'm a better quarterback than that guy. I'm a better receiver than that guy. So you're not going to get one elite player. You're going to get like a handful every year. They're like, no, I don't care that four other four stars sign there. I'm better than all of them. So I'm going to go and I'm going to get that million dollar deal. What are you talking about? Like I'm it. better than them. And so instead of getting, you know, I say it's one, one million dollar deal and it is just one one million dollar deal per year but you're going to have five six seven kids every single class that are elite that think that they're good enough to get it and are going to sign so you're going to end up with seven you know four and five star kids which is better than 25 extra walk-ons i like it uh question two for me to you are you ready Mm -hmm. positively negatively whatever up to you um What's one thing about West Virginia's preseason that changes what you thought before? You could feel better or worse than you did on August 6th, but what is something that has changed your tune? Okay. Um, Positive. I feel better about linebacker. I think there's a little more depth than I originally thought. Um, I'm, I'm feeling good. I feel good about Josh Chandler and uh, Semedo in the middle. It seems like Lance Dixon is pushing x low for that Will linebacker spot. It sounds like Bandit is in good hands with Cowan, finally healthy. Bartlett's right behind him. And then you're, you're trying guys out. I think uh, Neil Brown said the other day that Linnell Carr was bouncing back and forth between the two positions of Bandit and defensive end. Um, they like what Deshaun Stevens can do. I, I'm not gonna lie, man. I know they I know they talk about him as a Mike and as somebody that's gonna back up Josh Chandler, but the way he plays and the things he did well at Maine make me think that he could be a guy that you see at Bandit a lot. And all of a sudden, you know, I I've just listed off what, six guys there, seven already. And if you had asked me, say, you know, five, five, six months ago. I don't think I would have ever thought that there were six linebackers I felt good about West Virginia playing this fall. So I think 
I feel better there. I'm a little more concerned about corner than I was before. Um, based off your reports, not not that your reports are concerning me, Mike, but just the fact that, you know, hey, Jackie, I, I one, I was expecting Charles Woods to be to come in and be like Rasul Douglas and just or or uh, Rasul Douglas in his second year and just immediately kind of take over. You know, he's an FCS All American. I get that it's a leap from FCS to FBS, but West Virginia didn't have much else at that position, um, at least as far as experience goes. And Jackie Matthews, who had a decent game in the bowl game, but that was against Army, who doesn't pass. A um, little bit banged up. Haven't heard him as like a definitive starter, even though I think he had the jump on everybody. And then you got Daryl Porter, who, you know, you've had positive reports on him and maybe he's starting. But I feel like we were at this point last year where he was on the verge of starting and then or or at least, you know, contributing in a major way. And then I think he played in like three games for like 10 snaps. So I'm a little concerned about that corner position. Fair. Do you have other answers? I would say that I want to. I don't want to go into this because I don't want to start the fire and walk away. But I'm I'm kind of buying the diggy stock. You're buying? Yeah. Okay. Well, well hold on, because that's my third question. So okay. Well, let, let me, me answer go. that. Let me. So let me. That's not the one I wanted to give you then, because I think okay. that's that's where I want to start. I, I think there's a chance that they hit on their transfers this year. They did not do that last year. They have not had a very good history of transfers. Um, I don't want to get into that, but you can look at like transfers who transferred and that's not good. And, and transfers who just didn't make a splash, but we'll see what happens with Darrell Middleton. Um, I don't know what we can say about that right now. I just, and it's not bad. I don't think he's like in any trouble or punishment or injury or anything like that. But um, I think Woods would be the starting corner if, if Porter wasn't ready. And if Matthews wasn't ready, I think Woods is good. And if he's going to be your backup spear and he's going to play in past defense situations, it's like a starter but an extra defensive back, if he could play corner when you need him to, that that could be helpful. Uh, Dixon, you mentioned uh, Nestor. Um, I mean, there's they they might have hit in their transfers this year. Am I missing anybody else? They had a couple, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Uh, top of my head here. No, you got everybody. I think as far as pure transfers go, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Steven, you know, Stevens, Dixon, uh, Woods, Nestor. I want to get to Stevens because. I, that's a piece that they just haven't had before, like that that big guy who can rush from the box. Um, and I wonder if you can get into like a third and 16 situation where Cowan is the bandit, Stevens is the Mike, and I use Mike in quotes here, but he's on the edge. And like Josh Chandler is your, he knows Will. <laughs> like he could play that. Like I wonder if you can use him and things like that. And the fact that you can even ask that question is cool because you couldn't do that before. And that's just like different layers you can add to your defense. Uh, and that, that makes me feel better about their, their overall depth and everything, which is my larger point. I do think they have they have useful depth. I don't know how much they use that. I wrote about this yesterday in my three things, but this is their best roster the Browns had, no doubt. And I think it's because it's the best depth he's had. Is it their best starting lineups? Probably. We'll see. But it's largely the same players, so I don't think that's a reach. But their depth behind him is good, and we'll see how much they need him or use him. But a lot of that is because they plugged holes with players who looked like they were lost somewhere else and needed to change the scenery, here they are, and they're, they're ready to help, and they can do that. Uh, concerning for me is I just I wonder about the depth in the defensive line. And to some of the names that are in there right now, and you're too deep, or some of the things that they're going to have to do, can they be – they're going to play the way they want to play, but what's the shelf life on that, and how effective can they be deep into the season or deep into a game? We'll see. That just I, I'm not saying that makes me think that they're, they're going to take a step back, but I do think their defense can be good again this year despite some losses. 
I think a lot of it depends on the depth of the defensive line. And I just I just wonder right now. Just I haven't haven't heard a whole lot about it. That makes me think that's that's going to be a a no doubt about it. The strength of the team, which that's they've kind of built things in the defensive line the past couple of years. But if I think about it, never with great depth though either, right? Yep. Mm. No, I'm with you. I, you ready for the quarterback question? All right. All right. My third and final one. Because um, and I'm not entirely sure how to to put this because I don't want to say. There's been a disconnect between his play and what's been reported or what the coaches say and what's been reported. Um, so let's let's kind of a two-parter. The first part is, what do you think? And, and you've seen some, you've heard some, you've seen some, you've heard from capital S sources, and then you've heard what the coaches say publicly, you know, all three of those. What is the real Jarrett Davey this, this preseason? What, how do you think he's performed? And two, um, this is a hot topic on the board, and it's a question, I think, when you were heading to media days, you, you asked me what my one question would be for Neil Brown. And I said, what is it? what would it take? What's going to be that sign for you to make that quarterback change? You know, obviously he didn't make any changes during this year and then pulled the trigger in the bowl game pretty quickly. What do you think the change, what do you think has to happen for there to, be a change so kind of a two-part question for my final one there mm. i know that the daggy scrimmage performance is going to be top of mind and the pick six early and shaky early and brown said as much but from the people who i've talked to they just said the timing was awful like he's been very good and that that happened to be their last like in-camp scrimmage situation and, and you're drawing conclusions from that one that doesn't mean that it changes everything that happened before that. And by all indications, he's been pretty good to very good. And what probably encouraged people that day was that he got hot at the end of that practice, that scrimmage, and, and he was starting to put the ball where it had to be. He had a bad moment. And who knows, maybe I think it was Cowan who made the blitz um, happen and, and kind of forced Daggy to hurry one. And then I, I wasn't there. The video that they put online of the pick six, which is amazing when you think about it, mm-hmm. but I was told that like the the return setup on the interception was very good, and if you kind of watch it, you you kind of see that a die gets some blocking right away. So maybe just a good thing happened on defense. But the fact that that happened, that's going to be a headline, and it's going to be talked about and clung to more than I completed. What they say, fourteen straight passes at the end. Yeah. So, which do you want there? That's going to be the answer to your question. Is which one of those two outcomes do you gravitate toward? The guy who threw a, a debilitating pick six in his own territory or the guy who got hot at the end of the game, or the scrimmage, and, and was better. I just, I did not know they had people reporting for practice every day <laughs> until just recently. Um, so I went back and I looked at some of the dispatches and the reports. And again, this is state media, I understand that, but everything was from Brown was pretty consistent about, hey, Daggy was good, Daggy was moving, Daggy was this, Daggy did this. And I don't, I don't know, man, like, I don't think Brown wants to put his quarterback in a bad position publicly, but I don't think he's lying. And just some of the conversations to have people to decide, is that he's he's on point. Everything looks good. He's sharp. He's moving. Everything that they wanted him to do, he did. So I think I, I'm just kind of in on the fact that what you hear is what you get. Ultimately, what we see is what we get. And we don't know yet. You know, when, when live bullets are flying, he's in hostile territory on September 4th. We'll see. Maybe he's ready for it. Maybe he gets out of danger and he makes plays. Maybe he reverts to some bad habits. We'll see. But I, I just think that he's in a good position to start here just based on, like, even if you look at players, and especially defensive players and coaches, 
they just seem like they're pretty content and, and confident with him. And they, because they know him now and, and they're, they're more accustomed to what they want to see and they're seeing it, I think that's a good sign. And then what do they get out of him? Was that your second part of your question? What do they get out of him? Oh, no, quarterback change. Yeah. It's not happening. Okay. I mean, they're not. I don't think they're going to run some sort of platoon, and I don't think that they're going to create a situation in which like Daigie has a stage to overshadow. Excuse me, Green has a stage to overshadow Daigie. That LIU game will be interesting because that's going to be a blowout by halftime, and if Daigie is okay and just hands the ball off a lot, and Mathis and Brown get a ton of rushing yardage, and they're up, you know, thirty-five to six of the half, and then Green comes in and throws a couple touchdowns, well, all of a sudden. You have a stat sheet that maybe isn't identical. Well, let's play green more. And I think that's fool's gold. I, I would think that we've been over this. What gets green on the field outside of an injury is bad daggy. And then like that bye week after the Texas Tech game, Texas Tech, right? Mm-hmm. If they're, you know, two and three or whatever, and, and daggy hasn't been good. But some Brown's got to win this year. He just does. He has to win. And I don't think you want to go into the offseason not knowing what you have in green because Nico Marchio is coming. And if you spend the spring and the summer trying to figure out if green has it or not, you waste time trying to figure out if Marchio has it or not. So I think you need to get as much of the answer, as many of the answers out of the way with green and at the schedule and the record. And more importantly, Daggy's performance gives you that opportunity. I don't know how you don't take advantage of that. And by week after the Baylor game, my bad. So what game is that? Six or five? Six. So if they're like three and three or two and four, you have to think about it. Yep. Again, if they're four and two, or if they're if they're three and four, but Daggy's got like a, a sixteen to three touchdown interception, he's not going anywhere. But if if it's if it's an uneven record, you know, even or, or below, let's say, and Daggy's just kind of pedestrian, I think you really have to think about it. That was it for me. That that one was a little bit from from the board. I mean, that's been the hot topic on the board um, for the last few days uh, about. What was what's the real Jared Daigie from this fall camp? Because I feel like we've gotten, and I'm just gonna all encompassing uh, reports here. You know, whether it was actual reports, quotes from the coaching staff, or from somewhere else, or from insiders, from intel, uh, VIP stuff. Feel like we've gotten the whole gamut yeah. on Daigie this fall, and, and 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 I'm curious what. The reality is, or if that is the reality, that it is just the whole gamut, and that's just what you're going to get is all of it. Good, the bad, the ugly, everything. So, Final question. This one will be fun, I think. Uh, you, you could you could pepper this with ones that you want. Maybe, maybe there's more than one, but the, the superlative here is best. Um, you have a depth chart up now based on some, some research you've done and some intel you received, but you also talk to people a lot behind the scenes, not just the team, recruiting, things like that. Uh, front to back, start a camp till now. What's the best nugget you heard? About? Football. Just this team? Yeah. Hmm. Is it a position battle? Is it a, a guy who may be a guy? Is it a, a recruiting saga? Is it position change anything just what, what jumps out that yeah that's kind of cool maybe it hasn't made it onto the board or print or twitter or whatever but it pops up <laughs> something that hasn't made it out yet oh, this is a tough one i'm wondering if you have something in mind that you want me to spill that maybe i've told you in the past oh <laughs> something <laughs> like that <laughs> yeah i was like wait a second is this a trick this is a trick question um 
I don't know. I, I think for me, for like the, the this one's not a, 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 a sneaky, you know, anything hidden, anything new here. That right tackle thing is really blowing my mind. Um, Wyatt Milam and Parker Moore, a legitimate battle. Um, and people I've spoken with, not people that are, are watching practice every day, but people that have known Milam, people that know the offensive line position. And I made the comment of that I think I've made a thousand times and, and probably about a lot of linemen is that, I, you know, yeah, I think he's going to be great, but he's a true freshman. And how many true freshmen compete on the offensive line? And this person who I spoke to who played at the highest level of college football at offensive line was like, oh, he will play and he should start. He is amazing. And said that he was the best offensive lineman to come through there. Said he was better than Nestor at the same time, better than a couple other guys that have come through there and really think that he is the guy. And, you know, I, I know this was a big, and I'm going to start something on the message board again. I know this was a big thing about, you know, his rating and stuff. And and from the very beginning when I, I gave my uh, input on him, God, this, but this was, you know, what, summer of 2019 mm-hmm. when I saw him at camp at West Virginia. And I said, you know, he is a, at the time, I think we had him around uh, top 100, like in the country, which I, I know some people seem to think that that's not very good anymore. Um, that's amazing. I thought he was around that point when I said, I think we have him ranked very well. I think he's going to be great, but he's got some things to work on. But I think he's going to be a multi-year starter that could be all conference and will be in the NFL one day. And that's kind of that that criteria you use for that kind of high four-star range. And, it, you know, some people had him higher, had him as a five-star, which is future first-rounder, immediate starter as a true freshman. And here we are with him as maybe an immediate start, kind of in between. And people, again, people I know that have seen him play a lot are like, you're underestimating him. This whole he's not ready thing is wrong. He's ready. And I think someone told me the other day when I was talking about putting him up, you know, we made recommendations for the true freshman All-American team at 24-7 Sports. And I, I sent in, I said, you know, Consider Wyatt Milan because, you know, he's in a battle for a starting spot. I don't know if he's going to actually start. It's not guaranteed. You know, he could end up as a backup and only play a handful of snaps and it'll look silly. But he could end up as a starter, could end up being pretty darn good. And those guys on that little committee looked at it, thought about it, thought it was a good pick, put him on there. And I mentioned it to somebody, a capital S somebody, and said you know is this something that you know he's ready for you think he's ready for this is a lot of pressure to put on a true freshman and i won't and he's like yeah it's legit it's legit this is an actual thing this is something that's actually happening it's not that he's starting but that he's actually in the battle um and and so i think you know that kind of surprises me again not that i thought my loan was be bad but how often do you have a true freshman actually competing like that for an offensive line spot Yes. Um, and I think what they like about him, the physical stuff is there, obviously, but his his playbook awareness and his you know assignments and all that stuff is through the roof for a freshman. So I think that's what's going to get him on the field and maybe even start too. Um, just while we're on the offensive line, to give you my answer um, in a second, uh, on the other side, I've heard Yates has been great. 
Which is well, that would that would be good because I think he was one of the ones that I picked. You know, without seeing anything this fall, like before the fall, as I pick somebody that might be vulnerable to losing their starting job. So if if he's been great, that's great. Yeah. Um, and then the, they really like Jordan White. I don't, I don't know if he starts, but I think he plays a lot. And if not, he gives them he gives them a heck of a security blanket, guard, center, guard. Uh, I think it was a matter of time with him. They knew he was going to be good. His recruiting story is is pretty fun. Uh, way better than he was given credit for. He just happened to lose the season, unfortunately, right in the, the prime of his recruiting. And then he's been very good since he's been out there, too. So I, I think they're going to feel pretty good about their line. I wouldn't be surprised if Milam starts and Yates is no one worries about him on the left side. And then you got a good middle with, in some combination, Gemitter, Frazier, Nestor, and then White in there, too. So that's that's helpful there, too. And, I, and the other thing, too, is um, another one that's kind of been interesting is people love Tony Mathis. That everything they've asked that guy to do, he's done. And like he's probably your legitimate number two right now. I know Justin Johnson's been good and the various Farrow had the, the the splashy plays in the scrimmage, but from from what they needed him to do to become a guy that just didn't beat up against, you know, Texas Tech in a blowout or Eastern Kentucky in September to become a guy who could be a legitimate number two, he's done all that stuff too. Um so that's those are those are good things. And we've covered a lot of the stuff I would put in there. Like I try to use a lot of my nuggets. My favorite one. And this is kind of like, I think, the spirit of the answer because it's kind of behind the scenes. You wouldn't think about it or whatever, but do you know who was like a wild card in the recruitment of Nico Marchio? Who? Jeff Castile. Pulling the old Arizona ties, huh? Yes. Knew the coach. um, Was able to really answer some questions about, you know, the past, present, future of the program. Obviously, a relationship there, trusted him and, and, Listen, he's a great ambassador. <laughs> like, if, if you're a football guy, which, you know, football coaches like football coaches, and if you're trying to figure out, hmm, what can I tell my star player about this, this school so far away, I think Castile's a guy who's not going to BS you, and if you know him and you like him, then, hey, that's a pretty good a pretty good guy to give you answers, I think. I just thought that was very interesting. I didn't know that until over the weekend. I didn't either. I don't think people give him, uh, Castile, uh, credit enough for for his recruiting, uh, dating all the way back to when he was at West Virginia. Uh, I think he was a pretty personable guy with recruits and 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 has kind of that long resume of success to show them and and, and gives him credibility. Uh, Chris, <laughs> out of time, out of questions, and almost out of the preseason here. Anything to add? Any programming updates you want to do? Any any advertising pitching you need to accomplish? No, I think we're getting closer. We got stuff coming up again. We don't get to talk to Neil Brown until is it Monday? Um, so we'll get much from him. We we have some leftover stuff from where we got to speak with him and the other staffers last week. Uh, got a couple videos coming. Got a couple more updates from around the Big Twelve in our countdown. Um, commit trackers going up later this afternoon. Uh, I, I always do it this week, and I, I I need to remind myself that for some reason. Florida, Georgia, Tech, all these amazingly hot states love to just start playing football in August for some reason. Um, so I, I, we're a few days after a couple WVU commits made their debut, but um, it is up and running. I've already finished it. It'll be up on the site later this afternoon. And I'm just going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs for a couple of weeks, uh, <laughs> get familiar with Maryland, see if I can remember how to get to Bird Stadium. I'll be there, Chris. Oh, yeah. I like this, it. This regime will actually let me in the stadium too. So that's good. <laughs> Had some problems with Maryland in the past. Not this time. Um, but until next time, I am Mike Kazaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later.